The following episode contains major plot points that may spoil movies for some viewers. A spoiler warning is now in effect. Hi, welcome to a new episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Bourne. And I'm Leah. How's it going, y'all? Life is turning out so much better. It really well, is. Well, kinda. Well, both, um, both, um, um, literal and, uh... Figuratively? Figuratively, yes. Thank you for those words. I mean... We haven't posted any new episodes in the past couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. I, kn- I know I said in the past we were going to try to do better with that, but right around Memorial Day, um, we had some issues going on with the family and had to take some time to kind of work on that for a while. And then I got a new job mm-hmm. that I'm going to be starting in a few weeks. So I'm very excited and looking forward to that. Yep, I'm and very just, happy about that. And just a lot of like new stuff. And also, really. you can you see a lot brighter now. Well, yeah, the, I got glasses. Yes. I just got my glasses today. Now she looks like a hot, sexy nerd. I wouldn't call it that, but yeah. I mean, I look... She's a hot-ass nerd. I can see better. <laughs> it's still taking my eyes some time to like really adjust to the sharp crisp, crispness of being able to see like in focus. Yeah. But, yeah. She's my personal hot librarian. I just never realized how bad my eyes actually were until I put them on and went outside. And I was like, I knew it. No, but it was like, holy fucking shit. Everything looks so much clearer now. Yeah, no offense, but your vision was hell. Your vi- I, I, I didn't even like, I don't look through you, but yeah. if I did, I probably would have hated it because I'd be blind. Driving was weird. Oh, I bet. I driving mean, with your glasses on? Yeah, driving oh, okay. with my glasses on was weird. Because technically, I'm I'm nearsighted, almost to the legal limit, I should be driving without glasses. Like, I, I needed them, and my doctor prescribed them for me, which I was very happy for. Mm-hmm. And wearing them today while driving home, it just made me more aware of my surroundings. Like, cars seem to be a lot closer to me than they actually were before I got glasses. Hmm. So I had to not only be mindful of myself, but other people around me, more so than I already am. Well, speaking of other people, tell the audience what we're going to be talking about today. Yes, so I thought it would be fun if we... Like, I went through Reddit, and I went through some other, like, BuzzFeed article sources, and I wanted to see... Because I had heard of this unpopular opinion debate that a lot of people go through. Like, you know, the popular opinions of audiences who view horror movies and they think that one movie is better than the other or one franchise is better than the other. But there are a lot of unpopular opinions. Like, for example, I love the Rob Zombie Halloween remakes and I don't like Lost Boys. And again... I think everyone knows that. I know, but as we've talked about in previous podcast episodes that's my unpopular opinion on both different movies no one cares about that well that's your opinion that nobody cares about that again it's my opinion and before we go forward into this i just want (laughs) to express that this episode is purely just for fun it's fun for us to talk and have these kind of conversations Mm -hmm. we're not enforcing our opinions on you guys Mm-mm. but we just want to like we're gonna go through some ones i found that online that i thought were really interesting and i think it would be fun to, for us to talk about especially if there are opinions on this list that we may or may not disagree on it's nice to have both sides to this opinion yeah i mean we could we could disagree on the same thing or we can agree on the same thing or we could be both by polar opposites of what 
the um, we can thing either, could be. We can either be total biased or opinionated yeah. to one side. All right, well... It all depends. Well, without further ado, let's go with the game then. Okay, so... Number one. Number one, well, I had to paraphrase this. But it, essentially, how it goes is Sydney Prescott was not the was not only the best final girl in the horror genre, but the best protagonist in the horror genre. Hmm. Cinematic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel about that? I feel like she's a great final girl. I mean, there are tons of final girls within the other horror movies that definitely would take up the top spot for sure. Whether yeah. it's Jamie Lee Curtis or it's um, um, uh, Heather Langenkamp in. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, or it's, um, I, I mean, I wouldn't say this, I wouldn't say Jennifer Love Hewitt from I Know What You Did Last Summer, and there's way better girls than that, but, um, yeah. but, like, they're all great in their own ways, and they both, and they all have their strength and their downfalls, but a lot of them have, like, a lot of great traits and personalities and how they feel about, you know, their situations that they go through in the movies. Yeah. And Sydney Prescott is definitely up there. I mean, she's already, this is a girl who in the movie has seen horror films and know how horror films work. And her the, her life in the first movie was essentially a horror film. Yeah, and she and knows then, how then, they go. And so, then from yeah. then on, it just became one mass franchise yeah. and she, that she didn't ask for, but got it anyway. Yeah, and but she and, knew the rules and, and, knew, and knew what to do. Not only that, but like I feel like, it, and this again, my opinion... Or my view of it. When you think of Final Girls, the, the top two you would think of that are considered iconic are Jamie Lee Curtis and Heather Light Langenkamp. Also, the girl that I think is really good, too, is from the very first movie of Friday the 13th, who uh, chopped the mother's head off. Yeah. Yeah, she's a great Final Girl. Those are iconic characters. Sydney Prescott is the ideal Final Girl. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, is that... Unless you're aware of the Scream franchise and you're familiar with the name Sydney Prescott, you wouldn't know how fantastic she is as a character unless you watch the Scream movies. Like, she goes so much farther to just being a final girl or the star of the show. Yeah, she like, went she's, beyond. She's yeah. a survivor mm-hmm. of, like, traumatic experiences one after another after another. But she has the survival skills and the drive to make an intense effort to survive the movies yeah. that she's in. You know, because when, when you watch Sydney Prescott interact with these villains in the Scream franchises, she really is defensive. Like, mm-hmm. when you watch her fight and you watch her, she always thinks quickly on her feet to the point where she knows how to evade her attackers and to av- avoid certain death. Like when she's she, when she gets severely injured in some cases. I feel like she took defense fighting classes. Yeah, and that's the thing. We never know where this where those where instincts this, come from. Yeah, where her, yeah, you know. where those intense like defensive instincts come from. And as you watch her progress from movies 1 through 4, she's really built herself up character arc-wise greatly. Cuz I mean when we watch her in Scream 4, she was worried about coming back to Woodsboro, but she wanted to face the trauma from the events of the first movie to overcome that dark past of hers. And then by going there and experiencing all these new crimes and killings, she sort of embraced it and faced it head on. Like when you know, when she would show up where uh, when, when a kill scene occurs and she shows up, 
she seeks out the killer and she's always prepared with like a weapon of some kind and you know making sure that the other people are safe before she tries to go after the attacker mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah so she's like again the ideal protagonist which makes her you know a really good strong female character mm-hmm. any other thoughts you want to put in no all right just move on all right, next one is the Nightmare on Elm Street remake is the only remotely scary movie in the whole franchise. Okay. How do you feel? I feel like that's... To some people that would probably see that as true as the remake is a little more of a serious, um, you know, adaption of the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. But also, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, if you ever fully seen it through the whole thing, thing of the original it is actually scary i mean sure it's 80s what do you expect but the whole ideal of the story the special effects and literally how freddy does his little creepy things and even mm-hmm. the first makeup that they ever done for freddy even back then was kind of scary especially for yeah. younger kids and teenagers and stuff like that and just the whole concept even back then of doing something like this was unheard of yeah so i mean it is scary, I'll, the first one. I'll give it credit in terms of practical effects. Mm-hmm. It is effective. It is. I I always, and I, we'll, we'll touch base on this in another opinion later on, but I do find practical effects more real and effective. Yeah, more believable, yeah. Than, than CGI. Yeah, and that's and, what I liked about the first one. Yeah, and while the remake does heavily involve CGI effects in its adaptation. Yeah, which I wasn't a big fan of. The overall theme of it is super dark. Much darker than the original and any of the sequels. I mean, yes. I mean, New Nightmare was a lot darker than its predecessors. Yeah. But the remake took it to a completely different level where not only were the, the victims directly connected to the killer instead of just, you know, my parents had to go through this ordeal before I was even born and blah, blah, blah. And like, because yeah. we never really understand why Freddy's targeting these specific kids if all of his victims had already died by his hand. And then in turn, he was killed by the hands of their parents. You know what? And I know that there is a theory that floats around on the internet about uh, Nancy possibly having like an older sister that was killed by Freddy. And that's why her mom and pa- like dad are involved in it. But her dad's a cop. I don't think her dad would have jeopardized his career that strongly. Yeah. If if his own kids were involved directly to Fred Krueger. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I don't think it really holds a lot of water. Just saying. Hmm. I mean, I kind of get what you're meaning and everything. But here's mm-hmm. the thing that I would look at. Yeah. Especially with the three... Um, the three first movies of the Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. Sure, you know, there are certain things about them that you don't find so dark, but the topics of what the th- first three movies talk about are actually pretty dark, uh, if you think about it. Because in the first one, these kids are dealing with something that, that's way beyond them, that don't know where it comes from. And they and the parents explain to them what happened to uh, to him and why this all happened yeah and it's kind of messed up and literally the mother being an alcoholic and the parents are separated and you know the other parents to johnny depp's family is trying to understand but they don't really understand they look at her as a freak 
And yeah. Nancy's all messed up to begin with, and also even with the uh, her other friend. But second movie is pretty dark if you think about it because yeah, with that it, kind of it shows uh, it's more of a taboo like a taboo controversial yeah. uh, uh, subject they're talking about especially with sexuality and kind of a, a man's inner way of coming out yeah and that that I understand but when you compare the remake to its original mm-hmm. like you said they're dealing with something that they have no understanding or any idea of where it came from. It's way bigger than that. But that even adds to the question, how would they know about Freddy Krueger if they had no direct involvement with him, like the kids in the remake? Because uh-huh. the kids in the remake all went to the same preschool that he had worked at where he had intentionally molested them. Maybe that's why. So but that's, that's the direct contact between Freddy and his victims. But can I elaborate a little bit I more? I wasn't really done, but okay. I know, but can I? I'm on a roll here. Well, I will, I'm on a roll too, but if you ruin my role, then your role's fucked and my role's fucked. But it adds to the idea that when children go through things that traumatic in their lives, especially at very, very young ages... If it's a traumatic experiences that allows them to suppress their memories, once they resurface and it all comes flooding back, it's, like, overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they're just now realizing that this has happened to them and it's coming back in the form of these nightmares by essentially a dreamwalking monster, it makes sense that way than just some random child killers popping up in these kids' dreams when they have no clue or idea of who he is. Mm-hmm. That's just me. But, I, I'm again, I'm, I'm not pushing my opinion. That's just how I view it. Okay. And so, as I was saying... Okay, go on. Sorry. With, and then with the third movie, Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors is a very interesting movie. It's actually a really good third movie out of a lot of, like, sequels you would think of. That one... Definitely pulls, like, it was a surprise hit. But I'm not talking about that. Inside the movie, there's a situation with these kids that they're all fucked up. They're all, like, stuck in, a, in like their own little yeah. institution where they all come from it, different bad backgrounds yeah. of happened. Especially if there was suicide, drug addiction, all these kids. And just, like, you know, and just everyone thinks that, oh, this is fine and everything. But no, it's not. If you look but, but that's the thing, too. In Dream Wars, like you said, they're all going through their own personal traumas that happened in their lives. Whether, again, it be addiction, self-harm, and so on. They, they have no connection directly to Freddy Krueger other than their, their parents, parents. Which, honestly, it's like... so. So when you, you know, so yeah, I get you that. get you get a very vague backstory from Nancy's mom where she doesn't mention Nancy's involvement directly into this. She mentions she mentions her own involvement on being part of the mob that essentially killed Kruger to avenge the deaths of all the kids that he's killed in their neighborhood and town. It makes I mean to me it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but in the remake it does. Like we said in the What Ifs episode, remember when we talked about the What Ifs of Nightmare on Elm Street? Yeah. And Wes Craven had that idea of making Freddy out to be a child molester, but they decided not to do it because at the time... It just seemed taboo. It was in bad taste yes. at the time. Mm-hmm. Plus with the, Christian Ramirez. So yeah, yeah, the director of the remake decided to go forward with this concept and it ended up being much more darker 
than the original. And I, I mean, I gotta agree with this one. This and, you is... know, and I will say that a lot of people say the other ones are not dark, but as I was saying before with those stories, if you do think about with each movie and the characters and the stories within them, it's all fucked. Mm-hmm. You know, just everyone's background story is incredibly fucked. So yeah. I would say in the whole, Nightmare on Elm Street does have a darkness to it also. But not like a total black darkness like it does with the remake. I know. But I. But I there mean, is dark, darkness to it still. Yeah. So let's go to the next one. All right. Next one is possessed slash killer dolls aren't scary. They really aren't. I will agree on that. I they mean, are when you're younger, I feel when like. When you're younger, yeah. I mean, because you're seeing this little, like, stuffed toy or well, something come to life. And when, you you're, just... when you're a kid and yeah. a large part of your childhood is playing with toys, it's hard to imagine the concept of your own toys, which essentially shouldn't have any life force to them come to life and try to physically harm you. I'm just glad that all my toys I had when I was a kid never came alive. That would be, I'd be fucking shit in my pants. Some of, well, I never really had that fear, but when I did, I would lock all my toys in my closet. But that's besides the point. The point is, is that, I mean, when you, when you watch movies like Child's Play or Annabelle, I mean, those, those in and of themselves are two different types of doll movies. Yeah. Chucky's, Chucky's a serial killer whose soul is possessing this good guy doll who's trying to get to Andy so he can transfer his soul into his body mm-hmm. and he's killing people along the way physically annabelle is a doll whose <laughs> demonic spirit is using it as a tool to expand its powers and force to harm other people mm-hmm. or to just wreak havoc also for example too mm-hmm. the uh, the uh, the puppets from puppet master were actually made by a actual puppet maker who use magic on the little things, to, uh, on the little puppets to make them come to life? Yeah. And they were actually, sp- and then um, Adolf and the and the Nazi army, the Nazi party, mm-hmm. found out about this, and they wanted to take the idea of these puppets coming to life for their own self, so they can make their own German puppets to come to life to take to kill everyone. Yeah. But uh, but the guy who made them shot himself in the head before he, they could ever get their hands on them. Yeah. So that's why they can never really uh, get the toys. Yeah. So I always thought that was an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. So that's a good one. And yeah. then also my favorite one actually was f- fucking freaky. I don't know if anyone remembers this, but it's the little um, the Mayan doll with the uh, with the uh, little pitchfork, the little spear. Yeah. And it was part of the Tales series, the Three Tales, and um, fucking nuts. Like, cause she took like some necklace or something off the doll, and if you take it off of him. He comes to life and comes yeah. after you. Yeah. And literally, she puts him in an oven. All the smoke from him comes out, lands on her. And so she's covered in this dust or whatever, and she becomes the little doll herself with the sharp teeth and everything. I know. That was a terror. That was a scary one. But it's almost like the same concept, almost, like in the Annabelle creation movie, which is the sequel. Well, I don't want to say sequel. Mm-hmm. Technically a prequel to the Annabelle story, where Annabelle was a doll, just a regular doll, who was cr- built by a doll maker whose daughter dies, mm-hmm. right? And in the wake of her death, they start to experience these little paranormal activity situations where they see their daughter, and they think it's their daughter's spirit wanting to stay within the doll. 
which they allow, but not fully realizing that it's not really their daughter. And which one is this? Annabelle? Annabelle. Oh, okay. And Annabelle's image warps into this monstrous figure that is not their daughter at all. It's a demon that has fooled them into using this doll to wreak even more havoc on other people, like I mentioned. And then by this little girl who just comes in one day, takes the doll, and then becomes completely possessed by the spirit. It's like, it's 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 insane. So it's like, it can pass, if not from the doll itself, it can pass on to other people. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't really need the doll necessarily. It's just using the doll as, an, as a tool, like I said, to cause harm to others. Yeah. But other other doll movies can be scary, just not in the way that we as adults probably see them right now. True. Although I will say Dead Silence is a pretty fucked up movie. Yeah. It's it's good, but it's not that that scary. Ventriloquist dummies still kind of are like creepy though. Yeah, but I'm not afraid of ventriloquist dummies or What about other... Slappy the doll from the Goosebumps series? Not the movie. I find it series. so comical. Yeah. It's creepy looking. I know, but I mean, especially when, especially when, when you see Slappy stand up tall and he's like the size of a three foot person. Yeah, that's creepy. Anyway, no. <clears throat> do you want to move on? Yes, let's move on. All right, so this will be the last one. We still have more to do, which we'll probably do in a part two later on in the month. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll do like a part two to this. All right, so Rosemary's Baby is an awful movie with a terrible plot twist. I mean. Based on what the story is about and everything, yeah, that's true. But yeah. I, I always loved the movie. I always loved it because it was just for a time that when it came out in the sixties, mm-hmm. it was fucked. I thought Psycho was fucked, or you know, the, I think the birds or whatever. Oh, yeah. But this movie for a sixties film, scare the no. scare the hell out of me, especially what could happen. Yeah, I mean, I think Rosemary's Baby, like The Exorcist, had a really effective effect on audience members when watching it. Mm-hmm. I personally don't see the plot twist. Yeah. Like, can you explain to me what the plot twist is? Because I never understood what it was. Well, the plot twist, especially in the very end of the movie, is when she sees the baby and she freaks out at everyone and wondering, what did you do to my baby? And is freaking out and everything. And they explain to her that that is supposed to be the devil's son. And, you know, she couldn't believe this. But then, as time goes on, during that scene, she looks at it more and more. And she just can't help but to be in love with this baby. And literally, in the very end, the plot twist was, instead of her freaking out, she became the mother to Satan. To to the Antichrist. So the twist was she accepted her role as the mother of the Antichrist? Yeah. That's still not a good twist. Yeah, it's a, for for what it was at see, the time, they just thought this was an amazing twist. But this was, you know, before anyone could think of stuff like yeah, this. Yeah, because see, I never understood what the twist was. And then when I thought about the ending, I'm like, was the twist supposed to be that she had no fucking clue that she well, was carrying the I devil's mean, baby? Because I feel like that scene with the cult and the sex scene with the devil, mm. I feel like that was pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. But like, I'm saying with Hirsch, because she didn't know. You know, she didn't know what the hell was going on. And I don't even know if they were feeding her drugs this whole entire time or something so she could feel numb. But, yeah, no, like, in the very end, she's just like, what the hell's going on? And just, you know, freaks out and then sees the baby in the very end and just, it was weird how she accepted it. It was just like she had this whole silence to her and then started thinking, 
hey, I'm going to have this baby no matter what. This is mine. So yeah. it was weird how she fi- how she accepted it. And she smiled in the very well, end. Well, I feel like at the same time, too, the baby did. Her, her, yeah. her goal in life from the very beginning when we first... When she her character is first introduced into the story arc, she is married to her husband, right? Who's a, a, a bullshit actor. In yeah, the film. and she wants to settle down and she wants to start a family. Mm-hmm. Her husband wants to focus solely on his acting career, but is not getting anywhere in life. Yeah. So he meets this cult of... And he sold his soul. He, well, he meets these cult of Satanists. Yeah. And... They encourage him, you know, if you offer the devil something that he wants, in turn, he will grant you fame and fortune and whatever. And which turn, is which bam. is essentially how some people describe Satanism. I mean, I, I personally think it's much more than that. It's not really about Satan, you know? Well, there's, there's two different types of Satanic... Belief but, systems? Yeah, yeah. We'll say two different types of satanic belief systems. So there's a satanic temple, which believes in the seven tenets, which are more about not only being aware of yourself, but aware of the world around you and fight for social justices and things like that. Huh. I, I guess it's a good way to put it. I'm, I might be wrong. Don't mm. come at me because I'm still <laughs> I'm still looking into this kind of thing. Yeah. But there's there's a satanic temple. And then there's, I believe, the Church of Satan or something like that. The original, like... Something like that. The name. I feel like we'll, we'll touch base on this more in a future episode, but either way. Yeah. So, going back to Rosemary's Baby, that, that was how Satanism was viewed back in the day. Mm-hmm. You offer something to the devil in exchange for something you want. Exactly. You know, because, like... Look at the show Lucifer. Mm-hmm. He he has this gift where he can get people to tell him his their deepest desires, right? Yeah. And in turn, he exchanges favors, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That's how that's how they viewed it then. Yeah. Some people still do now, but anyway, <clears throat> that's what was going on here. He uh-huh. wanted he wanted to be famous, and she wanted a baby. Mm-hmm. She got the baby, and I think she just came to the realization that. Well, my marriage with Guy is shit, and this is my child. So I can either accept him and be the mom that I always wanted to be, or try to start over again, which would probably be near impossible for her to do. Yeah. Especially now that she's kind of involuntarily sucked into this or- organization. But yeah, I, I don't I don't really like Rosemary's Baby. It's an interesting it's, tale. It's an okay movie. Yeah. I just don't think it's that great. It's interesting. Yeah. It is. But, uh, yeah, so... So, I think we're gonna wrap it up. I know it's a brief episode, but... But we've got... We've got 12 other opinions we can go through in another episode. We can even make this a three-parter if we didn't have time. Mm-hmm. Um, so this will be part one. Part two we'll probably do next month sometime. And then part three will be in August. Yeah. Does that sound good? Uh, that's fine with me. Great. Or even if you want to do those quickly, it don't matter. All right. So if we can't think of anything next week, we'll just do that then. But anyway, so that's been a episode of The Abbey Normal. If you guys want to check us out, Aaliyah, show them how we can do it. How they can do it. Yeah, listen up, not see. Anyway. Listen up, um, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We still have our Patreon, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be iTunes, 
Spotify, Breaker, Anchor, Verbal, etc. The possibilities are endless, really. Oh, yeah. Especially with technology nowadays, my God. Yes. So, this has been the Abby Normal Podcast for the week. I am your host, Colin Bourne. And I'm Aaliyah. Signing off, what have you done to it? Oh, shut up, Colin. <laughs> As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are currently on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe, or a nice review for our podcast. It helps boost our show positively. You can also follow us on Instagram and now on TikTok.